0: This is the Indigo Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, March 24th, 2022. On this week's Indigo Mac Podcast, we continue with more definitions of common security terms. This is the Jargon Episode, Part 2. And now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing well. This is another one of those weeks where we're both in a secure location, not together. We're in two different secure locations. And We got such great feedback about our jargon episode two weeks ago that we're going to do a part two of the jargon episode because we realized also there was so much jargon that we hadn't talked about. So if you haven't listened to the first one, there'll be a link in the show notes to episode 230, the jargon episode. And this is the jargon episode part two. And Josh, I'm going to just throw this one over to you. Tell me what brute force means. Okay. A brute force attack. Most of the time when people are talking about a brute force attack,
2: they're talking about password cracking, like somebody trying to break into an account, for example, by trying passwords over and over and over again, usually using automated means. So it's not usually somebody who's sitting there at a keyboard typing each password one at a time trying to get in. Brute force usually means that you're using software to try repeatedly.
1: Right. So the other method would be the 10,000 monkeys to see if they ever <laughs> produced the works of Shakespeare, right. that sort of thing.
2: That would be a brute force. Okay. Uh, not Not exactly an attack, but...
1: No, that would be a random hoping and praying (laughs) thing. Anyway, hacking and cracking. Actually, these are very different things, sort of. You talked about password cracking. And I think what most people can understand is it's like cracking a safe, right? That you find the combination and you open it. So what about the hacking-cracking combination here?
2: Cracking and hacking are sometimes used interchangeably. Hacking can have a broader definition. So usually when people are talking about cracking or someone who is a cracker in in cybersecurity terminology, they're talking about somebody specifically who breaks into computer systems. Usually they're doing it illegally, right? They're breaking a law. They're doing it without the consent of the user. Hacking can mean that. And, and most of the time in the media, when you hear, hear the terms hacking and hacker, they're usually talking about that kind of like illegal, breaking in without authorization type of hacking. Hacking really can mean a number of other different things. A lot of times, people who are programmers, for example, consider themselves hackers.
1: Right. And so a lot of hackers get really offended the way the media always portrays hackers hunched over a computer with the matrix screens. Over there and, and a hoodie hiding them in a dark room. Whereas some people, hacking is just kind of trying to make things better, trying to come up with a different solution for things. Right. An alternative definition for a hacker is an
2: enthusiastic and skillful computer programmer or user. That's from the American Heritage Dictionary. So it, it could just be a person who's really good at programming or, or things like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad guy.
1: On one line of our terminology list, you have three words, hacker, attacker, and threat actor. This sounds like something Dr. Seuss wrote there. We've seen that hackers can be good, but attackers are always bad, right? Well, and, and that's why I, I usually like to use the term
2: attacker. I don't like to use hacker again because the, it can have multiple meanings and it can be kind of offensive to some people who are are not bad guys. But attacker, that is is a lot more clear about what somebody's motives are right it, it's not necessarily illegal but it definitely means that they are trying to do something against somebody else another term that can be used interchangeably usually with attacker is threat actor often a threat actor usually when we use that term it's it's a, For example, a group or it could be an individual, I suppose, but somebody with more sophisticated knowledge, sometimes you, you even see the term advanced persistent threat, which often is a government-sponsored group. Of threat actors, people who get together in sort of like their consortium and they work together to create malware or attack systems using sophisticated advanced means and technology.
1: And you often talk about nation state attackers.
2: Right, exactly. And advanced persistent threats very commonly are
1: nation-state-sponsored attackers. Okay, that sounds really complicated. And here I was thinking a threat actor was just like Macbeth before he goes to kill the king or something. There's a lot of colors in cybersecurity terminology, black hat, white hat.
2: Right. I think the the most
1: commonly heard color terms in
2: cybersecurity are black hat and white hat. And usually when somebody is talking about a black hat, somebody who is a black hat, they're talking about somebody who is it, it, the bad guy hackers who are who are breaking the law left and right, completely disregard the law. They They do whatever they want. They hack whatever they want. A hacker is somebody who is kind of the opposite, somebody who has altruistic motivations
1: rather than malicious motivations. Is a white hat hacker the kind of person who looks for a vulnerability and then then discloses it to a vendor for a bug bounty program? Yeah, yeah. That, that would be a perfect example of a white hat hacker. Very
2: often, they uh, participate in bug bounty programs and and again they're they're people who have a good motivation, so in that case, maybe they're a little bit financially motivated, but they're doing the right things right they're They're privately disclosing it to the vendor, they're not you know finding vulnerability and then immediately just telling the world
1: about it so if there's black hat and white hat, is there also gray hat like Gandalf, you shall not pass. <laughs> There's also Grey Hat, yes.
2: Grey hat is somewhere in between. So maybe they're okay with breaking the law to find vulnerability, but maybe they still disclose it privately to the vendor, for example. So that that would be somebody who's maybe a gray hat hacker, somewhere in between that doesn't quite exactly fit either definition of black hat or white hat.
1: Okay. More colors. We've got red teams, blue teams, and purple teams. And, and before we started the show, I was thinking, well, this refers to the Matrix, right? The red team and the blue team? <laughs> the, the, you're thinking about the red pill, the blue pill that Morpheus offered Neo.
2: Yeah. No, it's a little bit different from that. <laughs> Usually red teams, when you're talking about cybersecurity, a red team is the the group of people who are the attackers, and these can be people who are usually they're employed by the company. They may also be somebody who's a contractor working on behalf of a company, but they're the attackers who are trying to find their way into a system. And then the blue team, on the other hand, those are the people who are trying to defend a system. Sometimes when you're talking about red team, blue team. These are maybe war game kind of scenarios that that you're doing within your company as sort of practice exercises in other cases, a blue team
1: might be actually defending an organization from real outside threats so is this like an American football game where the blue team's got the ball on the quarterback and they're trying to score, and the red team's trying to prevent them well the other way around so the so so the red the red team would would be trying to score the blue team is trying to prevent them, yeah, yeah. And so what about a purple team? Because that exists too, right? Are they like the special team that comes on for the field goal? (laughs) Or is that the referees? Is that what it is? The purple team? So, well, just like you
2: have black hat and white hat and you have gray hat, which is somewhere in between, a purple team is somewhere in between or a combination of red and blue teams. Um, So a purple team could be... Uh, A group that does both red teaming and blue teaming, and maybe the players, the people who are part of that team, can switch roles
1: depending on the exercise that they're participating in. So they can be traded from one team to another in exchange for a first draft pick or something. Well, isn't there a draft in cybersecurity? Isn't that how it works? People come out of college and they get drafted by all these big cybersecurity companies? Uh, it, it,
2: it can happen that way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely cybersecurity degree programs and and uh, yeah, you, you very well might uh, be somebody who's interesting to a bigger organization. Now, it's probably more likely you'd be drafted after speaking at a conference. Like, for example, there actually is a conference that's also called Black Hat, by the way. And if you're giving a presentation there, it's probably pretty likely that you'll be approached by somebody from a three-letter U.S. government agency. Agency
1: and offered a job <laughs> or a three letter agency from another country potentially yeah. and you might not know this reminds me of that stuff about in was it oxford university back in after the war and the people were approached to do things for the government and they turned out doing things for the other government anyway i think it's time to take a break we'll be back in a minute
0: protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts.
1: Okay, next in our list is attack surface. Now, I confess that I've never heard this term before, but you used it when we were discussing before the show, and it just made sense, right? Attack surface is, well, the area you're attacking, We were talking about how Apple has already
2: removed Python 2.7 from the latest version of macOS Monterey that just came out and how by so doing, by taking something that was old and outdated and removing it completely from the operating system, Apple had reduced the attack surface of macOS Monterey basically what that means in this case is that um, now there are fewer things that somebody trying to break into or exploit a Mac can do to break in or (laughs) or exploit the Mac. There's there's fewer possibilities
1: for causing havoc because now they've removed some vulnerable code. Okay. That's an interesting concept because as an operating system gets more and more sophisticated, there is obviously a broader attack surface, and more vulnerabilities are going to be discovered, and more exploits are going to be used, and we're going to be attacked by threat actors with advanced persistent threats funded by nation-state hackers, right? You know, um, one a common axiom in the security
2: industry is that... Complexity is the enemy of security. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, the more complex a system gets, the more difficult it is to ensure that there are no vulnerabilities that can be exploited by the bad guys.
1: Okay, air gap. This is a really interesting term. I heard this in a movie or a TV series I was watching just last week where they were, a bunch of people were going someplace and they had to have a computer that wasn't connected to the internet so no one could listen to them, right? Right, uh, exactly. Usually when people talk
2: about air gaps, they're talking about a highly secure environment where you need to make sure that they're, uh, once again, they're reducing the attack surface by making sure that there is no internet connectivity. Usually that's what air-gapped means. No possibility for somebody coming from the outside, somewhere on the internet, to break into a network and then get to that system because it's not part of that same network that's internet connected.
1: You'd also have to turn off Bluetooth, right? Because someone could be nearby and have access to the device.
2: Well, yeah. So so. Officially, like usually when people talk about air-gapped networks, they're talking about at least not being connected to a network that is internet connected. And sometimes there are other ways to communicate with those computers. So it could be that maybe Bluetooth is still enabled. Usually you'd want to turn that off if if you're talking about a highly sensitive computer that needs to be air-gapped. You usually turn off all radios, right? So that includes Wi-Fi. That also includes Bluetooth. There have been some really interesting attacks on air-gapped computer systems, but uh, and we won't get into all of that today, but suffice it to say for now that
1: an air-gapped computer is one that is not directly connected to the internet. That's usually what that means. Okay, the next term is bug, and this is probably one of the most common terms that we talk about here. A bug is something that's wrong with a computer program. It could be a typo. It could be some sort of an error. Do you know where the term comes from? Um, yeah. Once upon a
2: time, <laughs> computer systems were so large that you w- could actually
1: have literal insects living in and causing problems for those systems. Right. Before transistors, these were very large relays. And according to Wikipedia, this was in 1946, where someone was working on a Mark II and Mark III computers, found an error in the Mark II caused by a moth trapped in a relay, coining the term bug. And now most of the time when we're talking about bugs,
2: usually that's something where there's a software flaw. And again, like like you were talking about, it could be caused by maybe a typo or accidental duplication of a line of code. We've seen that in the past with Apple has had a bug called go to fail because they accidentally put the same line of code twice in a row and made it so SSL or TLS certificates were not properly validated. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different reasons why bugs can be introduced. Sometimes, when you're trying to fix another flaw in code, you might unintentionally introduce new bugs. Anyway, bugs are not necessarily vulnerabilities and but some sometimes people use them interchangeably, but a bug is a more generic term that can include things besides vulnerabilities. It could just be a flaw that doesn't necessarily
1: make you more vulnerable. Okay, social engineering is a good one because it's not a computer threat it's not cyber related but social engineering is more of an avenue to get someone to do something to give you information right Right. Uh, social engineering is really,
2: I would say it's one of the oldest types of attacks that that is kind of um, related to computer security. In fact, it far predates computers. Uh, uh, social engineering has been around literally for thousands of years. <laughs> there are documented examples of it going back, uh, way back in history. And so essentially what what somebody does when they're in the act of social engineering somebody else, is they, they try to usually build a relationship of trust. In certain scenarios, maybe they might mention somebody that the other person knows who works for the company. So they might say, for example, the CEO, John, told me that I need to come to you right away to get this thing wired over to this other company. It needs to happen right now. John is waiting for this to happen, right? That could be an example of social engineering. You know the name of the person, and it's something that has to be done right away. Social engineering attacks are not necessarily in person. They could be over the phone. In fact, very often, social engineering attacks take place over the phone. Somebody will call up somebody um, and try to scam them. That's a type of social engineering attack. Somebody will say, your computer is infected. They might call you up and and say, I'm calling from Microsoft, or I'm calling from Apple, and your computer is infected with some malware. Our systems have detected that there's malware on your system, and then they'll try to walk you through clean cleaning up your computer, and what they're actually doing is causing damage or trying to get you to buy some software. They're, they're trying to do something to gain some advantage
1: from you by deceiving you. So that's what people do them when they try to sell you something. It's the same kind of idea. They try to gain your trust so they can convince you that you need to buy this car, this house, this whatever. I suppose you could look at it that way. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes it's just a sales tactic. uh, Yeah, social engineering
2: specifically, though, is is done with the intention of gaining usually an unfair advantage over somebody else, usually through. Right, it's malicious. But it's the same ideas. It is. I mean, okay, sales is not always deceptive. It's not always malicious. No. But... Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, so phishing is a very common term. You see this in, in the newspapers and everything. And this is phishing that begins with P-H, not F. This is not the same kind of phishing. It's one of the most common ways that people get tricked into uh, installing malware or giving up their credit card numbers credentials etc phishing is kind of a sort of social engineering isn't it Right. Phishing is a, a digital form of social engineering.
2: Again, the purpose is to deceive individuals, to trick them into providing sensitive information. Most of the time when we think about phishing, we think of phishing websites. So it, it's a website that appears to be, for example, whatever, a bank or an Apple login page, something that looks legitimate, at least you know to a novice where they might put in sensitive information. They might type their username and password. They might type a credit card number, as you mentioned. But usually the, the purpose is to steal sensitive information from somebody. Phishing also can can happen in many other different forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be a web page. There's SMS text message phishings, which is sometimes called
1: Smishing, yes. And, well, email is one of the most common ways that you'll get an email saying, oh, here's your conf- confirmation of your Amazon order for a new iPhone. Oh, my God, I didn't order an iPhone. I better click the link and go cancel this order with Amazon. And that's the thing. It's it's a form of social engineering, making people think something else is going on in order to get them to give up the secret information. Right, exactly. Okay, We often talk about data breaches and data leaks. Now, these are two different things. The data is the same, but a breach and a leak are two different things. And sometimes this can be data such as usernames and passwords. Sometimes it could be credit card numbers. Sometimes it could be entire profiles of people. Right. A data breach is is
2: generically defined as the unauthorized movement or disclosure of sensitive information to a party, Usually, outside the organization that 's not authorized to have or see the information so it's it 's the exposure of something that 's private to somebody who 's not supposed to have that information that's that 's the most broad definition of of a data breach and a leak is is kind of similar in concept and and um, in some cases, a leak might be. Maybe a company is unintentionally exposing data and, and, and
1: therefore leaking data to the public. We talked about this recently. There was a story of a journalist who found a bunch of social security numbers on a website, I believe it was Michigan or Minnesota, and the governor wanted the person to be arrested for hacking. And really, he just discovered a leak. He didn't, it wasn't a breach. It was just that this data was accessible and he just found it.
2: Yes, this was the Missouri governor. And the story first came in, came out uh, late last year and, and just recently was thrown out of court. So <laughs> thankfully hitting view source is not uh, considered hacking in the, the, the United States.
1: Okay, last one, and this is a term we use all the time, is malware. How do we define this? And is it a malware? Is it malware plural? Is it indefinite? What's the story here?
2: <laughs> okay, so malware is uh, a generic term that we, we prefer to use rather than virus. So again, a lot of times in the media, they'll just use the term virus as a blanket term for any malicious software. Malware is the more proper, correct term that is used generically to define any malicious software which could be viruses it could be worms rootkits trojan horses there's spyware adware there's all sorts of different categories subcategories of malware but the the generic
1: term malware means any malicious software i figured it out Mal from malicious and where from software. Yeah, you got it. That's it. <laughs> I knew that, but I just wanted to say that this is a portmanteau word is what it's called, where two bits of words are combined to make a new word. Exactly. That's right. Okay. That's enough for today. We'll be back next week, released from our secure location. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast,
0: the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, Intigo.com.